0: Hey there, Eyes Free Sports fans. Kickstart your health and wellness journey with a twist. Introducing Couch to Active, where health and fitness for the blind and visually impaired community finally gets the fun treatment it deserves. Couch to Active offers personalized one on one coaching, exciting group classes on Zoom, and expert guidance in weight management. It's not just about getting fit, it's about having a blast while doing it. I've personally tried their classes and have thoroughly enjoyed them. Don't miss out on the fun. Join the Couch to Active community today and start your journey to a healthier and happier you. Learn more at couchtoactive.com, couchtoactive.com, or call 206-672-2070, 206-672-2070. Couch to Active, where fitness and fun go hand in hand. hello hello and thanks for checking out episode 103 of the eyes free sports podcast my name is greg Lindberg. here on this episode we are chatting with a young lady in the pittsburgh pennsylvania area who has been involved in adaptive sports and blind sports for many many years now and she also founded and Continues to run a nonprofit focused on blind sports. In addition, she has actually taught adaptive sports at the college level and has some really interesting insight on that experience. So let's go ahead and get moving now with episode 103. All right, so joining me on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Wendy Fagan. And Wendy is the executive director and founder of the nonprofit Envision Blind Sports. Wendy, welcome to Eyes Free Sports.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Definitely. Really excited to have you on here. I know you have quite a background in the adaptive sports world and have been involved in a lot of cool things and starting a lot of cool things. So, super excited to chat with you here today. Thank you. So why don't we just start things off here with uh, your background, just kind of introduce yourself, you know, with your, your personal background and kind of where you're from, grew up, kind of your, your early years.
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Wendy Fagan. I currently live in Mercer, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Pittsburgh. I've lived in quite a few places across the country, but um, eventually worked our way back to Pennsylvania. So I consider this home. I've always been an athlete and absolutely love sports. I got my undergrad degree in health and physical education with a concentration in special ed from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and then I got my master's degree in adapted physical education from Texas Women's University, and that is where I got my exposure from to, to blind sports. But I always knew from the time, probably that I was just a kid, mostly because I would say because the influence on my from my mom, that I would end up working with individuals with disabilities. And so I thought I'd be a special ed teacher. And then I realized that if I was a special ed teacher, that would mean I would spend, you know, 90% of my day inside. And when I realized that I changed to health and physical education <laughs> and basically created back in the 80s when I graduated, Adapted uh, physical activity wasn't as popular, but I had a, a nice mentor at IUP that basically made it happen and was able to do some work uh, starting right off as, a you know, younger. And then I went off and did a internship at Winter Park um, ski area my first winter out of college. And from then on, just fell in love with disability sports
0: very interesting
1: and on another note i have four kids of my own who are also very involved and have been a big player in all of this as well as my husband mark so as much as it's a lot of what i've done it's also um happens because i have an amazing support system with my family
0: exactly so it's definitely been a family affair it sounds yes, like
1: yes they've all been wrangled <laughs> into it and uh,
0: like it and or not they
1: still do even <laughs> as adults
0: right right that's fantastic So as far as your professional career, just kind of talk to me about uh, your start in, uh, you know, education and and coaching and wherever you want to start on that.
1: Oh my goodness. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) I started after graduating from my undergrad, I moved to Colorado and uh, worked at the disabled ski school out there at Winter Park, Colorado. Then I moved to Massachusetts Um, in Massachusetts. I spent a couple of years working in a school. For teenage boys with um emotional and behavioral type issues. And then um, my husband got transferred to Texas. So off to Texas we went. That's where I got my master's degree and was able to really throw myself into the adaptive field. Uh, Claudine Cheryl uh, was quite an influence. She ran an amazing program out there. And she uh really kind of just, you know, so you need to talk about the impact of what someone says. She says, try as many things as you can, but find something that you love to do and focus on it. So I just threw myself into every disability sport I could find, uh, all different types of disabilities, all different types of sports. And um, I found blind sports in that process and absolutely fell in love. And I think the turning point was, I went to the Texas Commission for the Blind, met a gentleman named Scott Hudson. And I just walked into his office and said, hey, do you know anybody that wants to play goalball? And he said, are you kidding me? Absolutely. And within weeks of that meeting, we had a goalball team. We started traveling the country uh, with that team, went to some, you know, all different types of events. And I think those guys sealed the deal. There was uh, a good core of six, but even three or four that still have such a huge impact in my life because they just showed me... I I don't know. They just made me fall in love with with goalball and with blind sports in general and just the love of movement and just the joy of sport. And that kind of sealed the deal. And I've been doing blind sports ever since. And if you're wondering how long that is, it's been over 30 years. So... I would say I started getting involved in 1990, 1991. And, you know, so 30 years later, still going strong.
0: Wow. Wow. I was just out of diapers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're probably my kid's age. My oldest is 30, my youngest is 25. So, yeah.
0: Gotcha. I got a few years on them, but yeah, not too far off. (laughs) Okay. Nice. And I have to say,
1: I still feel like I have the same energy now. Uh, that I did 30 years ago, and maybe even more so, feel um, very positive about the the role and the changes I've got to watch over the last 30 years, and been very blessed to start this nonprofit, and it's just growing like crazy, and really becoming an advocate for making sure that people are educated and understand exactly you know, the importance of sport in the lives of all people.
0: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um. So as far as goalball, I understand that you were quite involved and maybe still are. I'm not totally sure as far as at the international level, the Paralympics.
1: Yeah. So in, I was coaching the men's team. My husband and I were coaching the men's team in Texas, absolutely having a blast. And of course, when you're traveling to the tournament, you get to meet a lot of really neat people. And they asked, oh gosh, it must've been right after 92 and so like early 93, they asked if I would be interested in, in coaching the women's Paralympic team. And I uh, got to go to the 1996 Paralympics with an amazing group of women. Uh, got they got the bronze medal that year. And I absolutely loved that experience. So I just did one, just 96. And yep. if I'm being 100% honest, the, the biggest reason that I didn't stay at the international level was... Going into the 96 Olympics, I had just given birth to my second daughter and knew that there were more kids on the way. And it was an intense amount of traveling, a lot of commitment, a lot of time away from home. And I knew that I had to refocus on my mission and what I wanted to get out of, what I wanted as a mother and what I wanted as a professional. So, um at that point, once we finished up 96, we had moved to Oregon and then moved back to Pennsylvania. And once we got back to Pennsylvania, I knew it was time to refocus and do something grassroots. And um, so I only did, I only did the international level in 96. And then uh, the next time I coached goalball was at the high school level. And uh, then of course we coach it in our pro, I wouldn't say coaching, we teach goalball. In our education, in our programming, in, our, in all the uh, camps and clinics that we have, it's always a big hit. So I feel like goal ball's always been part of my life, just at way different levels from teaching a five-year-old the basics of goalball to teaching people with vision what goalball is all the way up and every level in between. You know, because with high school teams, we've had adult teams. Uh, my husband just traveled to Austin, Texas to youth nationals, and we took some players there to play. So just about every level of gold ball uh, we've seen and experienced and learned from.
0: That's awesome. And just rewinding a little bit to the 96 uh, Paralympics, obviously that was the year of the bombing at the 96 Olympic Games in Atlanta. And I'm curious, were the Paralympics impacted at all?
1: You know, I I think not greatly, at least from our perspective. I felt like we lived kind of in a bubble when you travel with a team. You're so focused on your games and so focused on just your sport. You don't really experience, (laughs) you see some of it, but it's very, it's not the same experience as someone that may go to watch the games. You're really just focused on keeping your team, you know, well-fed and and well mentally ready. And I think all that stuff that's happening around just takes a backseat.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. So my answer would be
1: not really.
0: Gotcha. Makes sense. So I know you've mentioned uh, Envision Blind Sports, obviously, and I think it was, was it originally known as VIP Sports?
1: It was. It started out when we literally just threw a camp together, was known as VIP Sports. We thought it was just a fun name that, you know, we're thinking, oh, very important people, visually impaired people, very important players. And we thought we were being creative, but actually it didn't really work in our favor because nobody knew who we are or what we were doing. So when that started in 2006, 2006, and then in 2017, we became a nonprofit and we realized we really had to rethink our name so that people could find us. And we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So our name would speak for what we do.
0: Right. Interesting.
1: So we changed our name and it's been one of the smartest things that we've ever done for the reason that we're easy to find.
0: Exactly. Yep. Just, I'm sure Googling blind sports, you know, it's much more likely to pop up under your current name. Yep. Um, So let's get into just some of the programs that you offer, some of the events that you put on.
1: Okay. So we're a year round program, Uh, 12 months a year. We have something, you know, anywhere from one to many days of a a programming each month, depending on what month it is. Uh, We have three main pillars. Uh, the first pillar is camps and clinics. We started out as a sports camp, and then we expanded into having a fall and spring clinic. And then as we continued to grow, we realized there was a need for a year round. We have a very vibrant downhill ski program, as well as we've done other outdoor winter sports. So then we expanded into outdoor recreation and and to incorporate the skiing and and paddle boarding and kayaking, canoeing and tandem biking and all those things that we do in the great outdoors, in addition to sports and sports camps and sports clinics. And then our third pillar is education. And that is where we go into schools or community centers or wherever uh, the need is to teach and educate people on what blind sports is and get them involved, get them to try it. Uh, we especially love to go in schools. As you well know, for a lot of our athletes, they're the lone blind kid in a, in a school system. And so sure. we love to go into that school system where one of our kids you know, spends their days and teach their peers about the sports, that how sports are modified to make sure that they're included.
0: Right, right. Excellent. And I would imagine you do have partnerships with other organizations, other
1: Holy cow, yes. venues,
0: parks, <laughs> I, whatnot. We <laughs>
1: could probably spend the next 15 minutes talking about partnerships because <laughs> so many, not even just financial partnerships, but just partnerships with people from being able to run the camp as large as it is. And with this, you know, we have 25, we now have grown to our campus seven, six or seven days, and we do 25 sports in that time period. So we're Uh, We have a lot of partnerships with coaches, with places, with facilities, with colleges. It's unbelievable the blessings that we have, have run into and the people that we have met that have embraced our program and are willing to help. And then, I mean, from a financial standpoint, I could go on and on about individuals um, groups like the Lions, like the Pittsburgh Penns Foundation, Dick Sporting Goods. I could go on and on just individuals on top of that, that have given so generously to our program to make this happen.
0: That's amazing. And just shows, you know, there are good people out there and people willing to help and really wanting to, to help and who do you care. Exactly. So as far as your team there and your volunteers, just kind of talk to me about what that whole picture looks like.
1: Absolutely. So, um, I have two key members and they both have regular full-time jobs, but in addition to that, they work for Envision. Uh, Jillian Stringfellow is my director of program. She's my force behind camp and clinics. As I mean, she's also involved year round, but that is um, her big push is a lot of our programming. And then Ben Friday, uh, also very involved in programming, but also does like marketing things as well as he's in charge of our ski program. Uh, so he and helping with fundraising. Those type of things, but uh, he's definitely my winter sports guy. Uh, we've been really blessed in watching that program grow. So those are my two <laughs> uh, part-time <laughs> employees, and between the three of us, uh, we make it happen. And then I would—I can't even imagine how many hundreds of volunteers we've had. Camp is obviously the biggest volunteer impact, but every program that we do, every single one. For instance we just had a, what we called our, our fall clinic, and we held it at Robert Morris university. And we had, um, 18 athletes and 24 volunteers.
0: (laughs) We're
1: we're never (laughs) short on volunteers and we love them. And they are the backbone of envision blind sports. And, uh, we would be nowhere without our volunteers. And that's how I started. I started, That's how I mean. I still consider a lot of what I do consider it volunteer work. Um, And Jillian and Ben would tell you the same, but um, hundreds of really quality people that volunteer and use their skills and gifts to make our program work.
0: Right. And yeah, when the volunteers outnumber the participants or the athletes, that definitely says something.
1: Yeah, that's funny because when Jillian was planning this one, people were like, oh my gosh, do you need more volunteers? And every time she's like, no, (laughs) but if you want to come, we're not going to turn you away. So we originally had 24, 26 athletes, but we had some kids get sick. We had some kids with some issues that came up, which is pretty common when you have a one day clinic, you're always going to have. Um, some kids at the last minute can't make it. So we were pretty good. We were almost even with 24 volunteers and 24 athletes, but that also includes like our coaches. So we had goalball coaches there and longboarding coaches, uh, five-a-side yeah. coaches. And then, uh, we had some college students that were studying to be PE teachers that ran PE games. So, uh, we didn't have a one-on-one ratio with the kids and we try not to, to tell you the truth, cause I think it's too much. Um, sure. but they get involved in it. And I think they they just bring a lot of great energy, so it's always nice to have uh, volunteers there to to pull up the energy and play with kids.
0: No doubt, yep. And so, is it primarily kids that you have, or do you also offer you know opportunities for adults as well?
1: Both. Yes, we um we are definitely started as a kid based program, and you know we realize kids grow up and then they're adults, and there's still no programming, so <laughs> that. <laughs> The light bulb went on after about four or five years of, wait a minute, and that's when we started expanding the program. And we still have a significant amount of people 25 and under, but we are open. Our ski program, our outdoor rec program, our education programs are all open to any age.
0: I see. Excellent. And uh, specifically, I'm curious about young people, but even just in general, uh, can you kind of speak to... Any examples of, you know, athletes you've had come through your programs that you've really seen a true change, a true benefit in?
1: Oof. Okay. We could talk for about, uh, I could talk to you till tomorrow about athletes that <laughs> I have watched grow and develop. And, um, I, one of the things that I say, it's more than sport. It's sure it's a sports program, but there's so much more. And I've watched so many of our athletes develop and just become these, you know, They some of them start as little as five and they turn into these amazing humans. And I don't know, there's so many moments where you just see um, one of your athletes really blossom, whether it be on a ski slope or whether it's hitting a baseball and beat baseball or whether it's scoring a goal in five-a-side football or now that we're calling it blind soccer, I take that back, blind soccer, um, and, you know, we've had our, short, uh, our share of athletes that have, you know, like, for instance, uh, Callahan Young is current is one of our athletes, and he's currently over in Santiago playing for the men's ball team. They're 3-0, and zero and looks yep. like they're going to be doing really well, and we're hoping that they win gold over there. And as long as they get gold or silver over there, they're going to be going to Paris. So, you know, you have someone like Cal who came into our program as this awkward 12-year-old who were like, who is this kid? Just this tiny little 12-year-old. And now he's this <laughs> six-foot-seven powerhouse of a goalball player. I had the joy of coaching him all through high school. I got to coach him in college. We had mm-hmm. college teams at the time when he went to Slippery Rock. And then to support him in his Paralympic journey has been amazing. He's um, It's been great to watch him go from this awkward kid to this... Um just amazing adult who's well-spoken and such a good representative of our country to be sending to the Paralympic games and very dedicated, uh, hardworking, and definitely probably one of our bigger success stories for sure. If you're talking in terms of how far he took a sport.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. That's definitely a big name to have had on your your resume as a coach.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Still, <laughs> still, still enjoy him. He's very entertaining. But, you know, that being said, um, and I know that Cal would agree that I could probably name another hundred who might not be Paralympians, but boy, have they put their heart and soul into the sports and into camps, into clinics, into skiing, whatever the program may be, even if it's, you know, paddleboarding, whatever, and just seeing that, seeing them embrace the sport and becoming just more confident. We have You know, we had seventy-six kids at camp this summer and Mm. some of those kids just they amaze you at what they can do in six, seven days. It's it's amazing.
0: Absolutely. No doubt about that. Um, I am curious for those out there that might be interested in starting some type of nonprofit focused on adaptive sports or blind sports, what kind of advice would you have for them as far as starting such an organization and, and maintaining it over time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a million dollar question. Um
0: yep.
1: <laughs> you know I learned a lot, I've learned a lot by starting a nonprofit. I feel like I'm going to uh definitely stay young for a long time because I'm constantly having to learn new things and 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 force myself into doing things that I normally wouldn't think of of having to do. But I think for someone that's just starting is to You can dream big and that's important, but I think you need to set a mission and start local and build from there. And one of the ways that we've protected our program is that we made sure that we could handle what we were set out to do. So we, will, we sit down with our board and we say, okay, here's our goals. This is what we want to do. This is, this is what our mission is. This is what we want to focus on. Um, obviously, you need to to make sure that you have some boundaries and that you decide like what exactly you wanna do. Like, There's a lot of different things that you can do with blind sports. And I get asked this question a lot, but I think the smartest thing that we did was by containing it and growing as we were capable of growing. And we've grown immensely and we're continuing to growing. It's very exciting now, but um, just kind of being determined And I think the key to survival in the beginning is just networking, finding people that will believe in your program, people that will support you, uh, people that will help you. I mean, literally, I would say that you know, for uh, countless years, I would say we we didn't pay a single employee until what gosh, twenty nineteen. So we went years and years and years solely. On volunteers not a single dime was going to cover any kind of administration that was just and i think that i am cautious because i know that that's not practical for people because it's very difficult but um surrounding yourself with people that take value in what you do and finding strong volunteers because it's difficult it's it's definitely hard but it is so worth it every time i've thought like what on God's earth, am I doing? Whoa. You know, something happens. My board likes to call it divine intervention. Something happens that refocuses us and allows us to say like, we're not going to we're We're, we're going to stay at our mission and keep going. But it is, it is challenging and, but definitely, definitely worth it. I highly recommend it, but you have to be willing to put in some hard work and put in some time.
0: Sure. Sure. That's some great, honest advice right there. I appreciate that. So I know that you've also worked as a professor, I think, at Slippery Rock University.
1: Correct. Yep. I worked there for 19 years. Wow. Um, I'm 100% in vision blind sports for the first time starting this September. So up until uh, this summer, I was working as a professor in addition to doing vision blind sports. So now all my focus is on the nonprofit, which is it's kind of crazy. I really miss being at the university and teaching the kids. I don't miss anything else about the university. I just miss the kids and the programs that we built there. But I'm very excited because I have so much more time and energy to put into the program. But yeah, we, I taught in adapted physical education and activity. It was actually adapted physical activity. They had a minor. And for a while, we had a master's program.
0: Oh, wow. Very interesting. And yeah, what, it was a uh... ton of fun. Sure, sure. What are some examples of some of the classes you taught?
1: Oh, okay. So uh, my favorite sport or my favorite class was <laughs> disability sport. Shocking, I know. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we we taught just about every disability sport imaginable, which was very cool from blind sports, to wheelchair sports, um, sports for individuals with CP. Uh, we talked about deaf sports and Special Olympics, just everything. And I also taught Introduction to Adaptive Physical Activity, where you just give the college students an understanding of all the different types of disabilities, and a main focus is, okay, you get a basic understanding of the disability, how do you do adaptations? Because I spent seven years as an adaptive physical educator when I lived in Texas, and you focus on, well, every, every individual learns a little differently, may need some mild modifications, and just teaching them how to... You know, change the size of the ball, change the noise that it makes, change the amount of space. So that's a fun class. And then uh, the third main class I taught was called program design, which I also very much loved. And that was just taking them through the whole process of developing and understanding, say, how to build a program like Envision Blind Sports or maybe just how to design an after school program or how to design a community-based program. It doesn't always have to be something as large as a nonprofit. It could just be a smaller program, how to build a running club that includes people with disabilities or how to, you know, open the world of weight training to people with disabilities. So that was a, a ton of fun too. But those were the three main classes that I taught.
0: Nice. Very cool. And I'm curious, did you have any students with disabilities as well in that program?
1: Yes. Over the years, I've had uh, numerous, because of um, for years Envision was based out of Slippery Rock and we're not not based out of. For years, we used the university because I was there. Uh, We no longer do. Uh, We found um, for like our camp, we're at Penn State Barron, which is absolutely amazing that college has been so good to us. They're up in Erie. Uh, We work up there with uh, Brian Streeter, who's the AD, and they have been over backwards to help us make camp work there. And then the clinics, what we're doing now is we're going to different universities to get a chance to meet some of the different college students, as well as increase exposure to and to make it easier for different athletes from different areas to be able to make it to the clinic. So, like I said, the last one we did was at Robert Morris. The next one we'll be doing will be at um, Pitt. Uh, like we have done them at Penn State Barron. we've done it at La Roche University. So it's kind of exciting now because what we're going to do in is expand by being able to move. We're kind of a we're not based out of a gym or out of a space. We go to where the the activity is and where it's needed. And by shifting and going to different universities, it gives us the ability to. Move around, but back to your question, which I guess I already forgot. Is yes, we had lots of. <laughs> sorry about that. I diverted. Mm. No, uh, we had a lot of students with dis. Not a lot. We had students with disabilities, uh, hearing impairments, visual impairments. Uh, we let me think. Uh, CP, uh, amputation. Hmm. And Slipper Rock also has a program for kids with autism and with intellectual disabilities that's on campus, so that population too. But because Mm -hmm. um, we're based, that's where I got sidetracked, because we were based there for so long, a lot of our kids that were blind would come to the university and spend a week there every summer. So they got really used to the university and they liked it and they felt comfortable there. So many of our athletes um, um, ended up going to school there, which was fun to have. I still have probably right now there's still three of our long-term athletes that are getting college degrees from slippery rock right now
0: nice very cool
1: yeah probably answer two questions for one there
0: right and bogo i got a bogo <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, get to do any research as far as you know writing papers or research on blind sports or adaptive sports
1: oh you're not going to like my answer on this one Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a researcher. I have zero interest in research. I shouldn't. That's a little harsh. I like reading it. Um, I am a programmer at heart. 100%. Sure. And that is where my gift lies. And as much as I can say, I appreciate the individuals out there that are doing the research. And I know the value of it. I personally, uh, it's definitely not one of my priorities. And I I think about that because here I've been in a, a you know, position where I have all these kids coming with the same exact disability in a sports setting. So should have I done research? Yes, I should. Will I be doing it in the future? No, I will not. So <laughs> I know it's something I should do and embrace, but it's definitely not in my life calling.
0: Right. Hey, I appreciate your honesty on that one. I guess maybe a bit of a follow up, just kind of your you know reflecting on your career reflect, reflecting on you know your observations as an educator, as a coach. Um, what would you say are kind of the biggest takeaways you've seen you know the the benefits that young people maybe specifically um, have had from their involvement in sports? I know you kind of answered this before, but anything else you want to mention on that?
1: Oh, okay, there's a lot but When I think about the last 30-some years I've spent with blind athletes and the changes I've seen, I think the ones that I get most excited about is how it empowers them. I love to see them grow within their confidence and their ability. I, I absolutely could tell you many stories where as they grow and they come to the program, they come back year after year. They go back to their high schools or their middle schools, and they're like, "Well, hey, I, I want, I want to wrestle. I want to be on the track team." And just educating people on how to be a guide so that they can have a runner or a guide runner uh, going back and explaining like how to modify something and using the skills that they learned at envision to go back and empower. And they also become great educators. And I think when they get that knowledge, when I can pass that knowledge on, then I think we've just increased that whole circle, you know, the whole ripple effect type of thing where you give someone a piece of knowledge and then they start to share. it. it's the same thing with my college kids. You know, they tell somebody who tells somebody. And I think about all the great places that my college kids are at now. We've got kids that, that are teaching in blind schools in New York, in Virginia, in Chicago, you know, all over the country. And I think for, for not just the blind athletes, but also for... um my volunteers empowerment and education is is forever and 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 i i i love to see them that with that confidence i love teaching a kid a skill they think they can't do and then the excitement they feel when they realize they can we see that a lot on the ski slopes where like oh i can't i don't have balance or i can't do this or this is too scary and by the end of the day they're skiing down the slope by themselves um there's a lot of sports that we could say that about and I also think from the independence. So, the camp, especially, I would say for all the programs, but when they come to camp, they they have to be independent. They have to, you know, learn skills to make friends. They have to, you know, be able to get themselves up in the morning and and get everything they need because they're going to be swimming in the morning and then doing something else. And, you know, they're going to be doing seven sports in one day. They have to have all their equipment or whatever they need to get through their day. They um, just that whole living in a college dorm. When you're, you know, five, six, seven, all the way up to eighteen years old, there's a lot you learn from that. So, and I think the other thing that's of great value in sport, and I'm a huge believer in this, sure. and I hope the research supports it, is the increase in orientation and mobility. Um, I love to see the kids increase their ability to get around independently to find themselves from point A to point B. In addition, to just getting around their environments and just feeling more physically stronger. I think we sometimes lose the fact that, that we need to increase the strength and power of our athletes. So seeing them realizing the, the value of that. So I could go on and on and on about what I think sports do. And, I, and I, I think confidence is another one. I think just, I mean, you're an athlete and I know what sports did for me and that's what sports does. And I think sports has that impact on anybody who gets involved. And that's why disability sport is so important because it's so easy for people to, to look at athletes that are blind and say, well, they can't do that. And I don't really understand that because I tell people all the time, they're not, it's not a physical disability. They have
0: 100%
1: of their physical abilities. They just have limited or no vision. It's a sensory disability. And Sometimes I think the kids even need to learn that. A lot of kids will be like, well, I can't run. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What do you mean you can't run? Of course you can run. And, you know, as you are probably aware, we have kids yep. come to camp that, that they're right. They can't run because no one's ever expected them to. And so upping their expectations and then seeing that joy when they're like, whoa, you know, I can do this. I, I can out, I can outdo what other people expect of me. They, There are so many people that underestimate, um, well, I would say underestimate individuals that are blind or visually impaired in general, but especially athletes. And I think we have a lot of education to do. And I feel like that's one of our goals at Envision Blind Sports is making sure that people understand that it's really not that difficult if you take the time and break it down to make sports accessible. They shouldn't be sitting on the the benches in PE. They shouldn't be living on a treadmill in PE. They shouldn't be excluded from community sports. They should have access. And, And we do not have enough blind sports programming in America. It is frightening the number of kids that don't have access to appropriate adapted programming or even the education to to teach someone who may not know how to do it. And I think what really drives that home for us is we're a Pittsburgh-based nonprofit, and we have kids coming from 12 different states to camp. Wow. 12, as far as Hawaii. And um, why is that? It's because where else can they find that, that access to sport? There's not enough programming. There are other programs that are wonderful. But I can tell you what: there's not many, there's not enough, and I will go to my grade making sure that more and more kids that don't have access have access. And you know, we've started to expand our wings and have little pockets where more and more kids are coming from. We got kids from Philly and kids from Kentucky and kids from Chicago and kids from Columbus and you know, just New Jersey. Y- you name it. We got kids from, like I said, North Carolina, South Carolina, and I don't always want to be that program that has kids coming from 12 states. I want the the program to continue to grow so we can say like, hey, let's let's um make this more accessible to more kids and and hopefully other people build build similar programs, but it's it's exciting that we have so many kids and it's exciting that they come from so far away, but it's also a problem because it's it speaks a lot to the fact that there's not enough programming.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And even though there might be programs out there, you know, there's so many barriers to accessing those programs and those events as well. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say, I do want to shout out if I can, uh, we just got a $30,000 grant from move United and the Hartford for equipment. Mm. Wow. And one of the things, yeah. One of the things we're going to be doing. So if any of the listeners are, like, wait a minute. We could use that. We're going to be distributing. Um, I think a minimum of at least fifty. Uh, not packets, but like bags of equipment that are modified. Uh, we'll be working with, especially like Pittsburgh area, Erie area, um, up here in um, what's called the I U four, but in this Butler County, Westmoreland County, like all these different counties, and and but we're we're also going to provide uh, some other people in other other states and things. And give them the equipment that would help a kid be able to adapt some of the sports within their physical education setting or within their community setting and get them into the hands of the kids that need them. And it's just like a start where we really wanted to blow up. And I think what happens is when you get that equipment and you get, and with that equipment comes education, is that all of a sudden you're increasing the awareness of blind sports. And with every time that we increase that awareness, then that allows the program and programming to start to develop and grow
0: sure sure absolutely and wow
1: so we're really thankful for that oh yeah
0: and hey i can definitely sense the the passion in your voice and the energy and enthusiasm <laughs> you still have after all these years so that's that's amazing
1: it just grows never never gets old
0: <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> and I, I mean, like I, we hadn't been to high school nationals in years. I hadn't been to high school nationals since Callahan. I went to high school nationals this year just to see. It was very exciting to get. And, and I, I have to tell you, while I was at nationals, multiple conversations with other people that have the same exact goals is how do we what do we need to do as a community to make this happen more often?
0: Right, right. Okay, and then to wrap up here, I definitely wanted to give you a chance to share contact info if anyone wants to learn more about Envision Blind Sports or contact you guys or get involved. How can they do that?
1: Absolutely. So we have a website, super easy. Just go to envisionblindsports.org. Uh, when you get to that website, the easiest way is to, you can, there's a little clicky button where you can get more information if you're a volunteer or if you're an athlete, and we get those several a week from all over, like I said, all over the country where people like help us find programming, or can we be involved in yours? Uh, If people, that's a great way to learn about the program too. It talks a little bit about the breakdown and some of our missions and visions and values and things like that. Um, You can also email us at envisionblindsports at gmail.com. We also have individual emails, but I won't get into them now, but if you reach out to us, we'll, we'll be able to, it doesn't matter what sport it is. It doesn't matter what, time of year the sport happens, if, it, like I said, if it's something from just having a question as simple of how how do I make my uh, aquatics director understand that my kids should be able to be involved in the local swim program, it could be something as simple as that as to how do I get a hold of a goal ball? How do I get a blind soccer ball? Or how do I get to camp? All, all of those questions can be answered and, and that's probably the simplest way to get a hold of us.
0: Excellent. And I'll definitely include all that info in the show notes uh, for this episode for everyone thank too. You. Alrighty. Well, again, yeah, it's been such a true pleasure to chat with you here, Wendy. We've been speaking with Wendy Fagan in Vision Blind Sports. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And just especially thank you for everything you've done and continue to do for the blind community.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I encourage anyone that's listening that wants to get involved or wants to, you know, take blind sports to the next level, please reach out to me. We're always looking for people that are interested in volunteering, people that are interested in financially helping, or people that have athletes that need help. We we're looking at every aspect of blind sports and want to make sure that we get as many people involved as possible.
0: Awesome. Great words to end it on already. Thanks again.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I appreciate that.
0: Definitely. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports Podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.